Welcome to Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Miller, your host for today. And I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, first of all, Farm to Plate. They are a software company enabling today's food supply chain ecosystem. And I am so excited to welcome our guest. We have Ted McDonald with us. He's an entrepreneur with a really interesting backstory that we'll dive into, but he's also the founder of Liberty Lighthouse Group. Welcome to the podcast, Ted. Thank you, Pam. Good to be here. Appreciate yeah. you having me on. We are excited to have you. Let, let's start out, first of all, What what is Liberty Lighthouse Group for our listeners? Liberty Lighthouse Group is an agency business. Uh, other people call it a broker company, but uh, it was started in 1999, uh, right around the time of SARS. It was a necessity more than uh, something just to just to play around with because of uh, SARS and the Asian economic crisis uh, devalued a lot of currencies, put a lot of people out of business, and because of my background with Seagram's. I was getting a lot of phone calls from regional distributors saying, what's hot? What's coming into the region? And I thought, hey, there's a business here. If I can develop those what's hot and what's coming up, I could be onto something. And I did develop that till this day. Wow. And you have a really unique business model, which we'll dive into. But really, you're working in an environment that a lot of people don't know how to navigate, you know, with international connections and working in Asia Pacific. And how did you gain some of that experience that got you where you are today? Well, maybe you call it the lucky seed. Uh, it was something that uh, I was kind of born into. I was very fortunate. From the age of two, I started traveling overseas, not alone. I couldn't carry my suitcase. But uh, my father, who was in international business, something new at the time in the early 60s, started traveling to England and Brazil, France, uh, and a few other places. And I just happened to be there carrying the bags as we moved along. But I didn't realize that as I was going from country to country, I was gaining cultural understandings, mm -hmm. uh, people's languages, gestures, and how to really interact with people that you wouldn't call your neighbors normally down the street here in California, where I live today. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, there have been books written about that. I know when I was going to have some international exposure, I I bought a book about different nuances in the culture that I was going to be working with. And it was very helpful because it's different from what I grew up with. So what an advantage for you to be able to live that and not even realize that you were gaining these skills that you would now use uh, with your own business and to connect all these different peoples. Well, I was very fortunate in uh, a few of the jobs that I did was I, I learned as I went along that I had developed these skills working in the alcohol business because I had one stage worked for Martel Cognac, uh, Mom Champagne and Barton Gustier. And as I was traveling from country to country, I seemed to make myself better understood than most people that were doing my job for other companies. And uh, it led me to create good relationships in every country that I worked with, uh, personal relationships till this day. Yeah. You know, I think that making that connection 
Isn't that what everybody always talks about in business, that it's really about the personal connection and getting to that trust before you people do business with you. They do people with the, they do business with people that they like and trust. And you've already landed there. Well, tell us about but tell us about what you're doing and and what's unique other than your background. I mean, you have a niche where you have figured out a way of doing business that's really successful. So share with us a little bit of that. Well, I tell you one thing: if it wasn't for the internet, I would probably still be back scratching letters on a piece of paper. Um, and when I realized that dis distribution companies, and that's what I deal with, national distribution companies in every country, I realized that not only did I, as a salesperson, marketing person, realize that I needed to be not just in my home country, but I needed to be exp uh, exposing my brands outside of where I was originally from, say, America. By bringing those brands to those distributors, I was making them a promise that together we would develop this together. And then I wouldn't just drop a brand on a company, but I would nurture them, their sales team, their marketing team, and, and not just once, but on a monthly basis. And as you work with people over a period of time, the trust develops. And you must also be sensitive to their cultural issues as well. So uh, I've learned from my friends in the Asia Pacific region, a number of what not to do and things to do. So when I introduce a new spirit company, brand company into the region, I'm always working with my uh, colleagues from be it the US or Europe on making sure they understand before we go into a meeting how to approach each subject, not to hold their hands, but just just little reminders of how we can approach sales and marketing in a beneficial way for both sides. Well, because you take a different approach than the traditional representative that might be coming into a an international distribution company trying to get into a country. I mean, you know, usually they're all about immediate distribution numbers and profits and quantities and all of that. But you take a separate tack there. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer, especially when introducing a new category. And you may say, well, what's new in this world today that hasn't been available before? Well, in the spirits category, uh, I picked up a brand called Patron Tequila, and they approached me and said, you know, we'd like to be sold in the Asia Pacific region. And as I explained to them, there really is very little to zero tequila consumption. It was going to take some time. Yeah, <laughs> we have to we have to expose them to what tequila is and how you how you use that. And yeah, you know, they were they were predominantly brown good spirit drinkers, cognac and scotch. Yeah. And as I had worked for Chevis Regal in the past and Martel cognac in the past. So I had developed a good relationship with a lot of countries and a lot of distribution companies. And when I came back, I had to remind myself what I will come back with is that kind of quality for those distributors. So when I approach somebody, I already have a model that we can build upon from the past experience. Um, I remember one time being in Japan speaking to a bunch of journalists that were Japanese journalists, obviously, and they were all talking to me about getting hangovers from tequila. 
And as I try to explain tequila, they kept harping on the tequila. And then I realized there is a synergy between single malt whiskey and 100% agave tequila, because both of them are a single distillate that goes into a bottle that is not blended. And once you blend the spirit with a neutral spirit, that's when maybe a little bit of the hangovers come through. But everything in moderation, I should say up front. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For our listeners, for our viewers and listeners, everything in moderation, but go ahead. But uh, once I, I started correlating something of a familiar tone to the journalist, single malt whiskey, which they had all been trained on, and comparing it to 100% agave, I started hearing that, ah, yes, now I get it. And yes, they flipped the coin and they started to understand the quality, the price, what is the result of aging a tequila mm. in a different fashion than a Scotch whiskey or a cognac. But it's really finding a happy medium that both of us can share. Right. You know what? I Being a good listener and paying attention to all those cues that you were getting and trying to relate what you're doing. I mean, you already knew the level of quality that you needed to bring to the table. So you weren't going to show up with something that was not going to meet the standards that they already had for their distribution. I think all of that, those are such good lessons to other entrepreneurs that are out there in whatever industry that want to be able to find their niche is to just be a good listener and observe that ideal client that you've got out there and pay attention to what they're saying so that you can be making that match like you or, did. Or I could interrupt you there, or what they're not saying. Or what they're not saying, yes. Because I have found from my experience, different cultures approach a subject in a different way. Americans tend to ask a lot of questions if they don't understand. British the same way. But when you move to Asia and you're talking to a group of people, they tend to be quiet if they don't understand. Mm -hmm. they, they're super intelligent people, but if you're speaking about something different, they don't want to be embarrassed. So again, you have to take your cues also from the silence that you're hearing to try to get those approval understandings. I always, as a background, not only do I introduce a product to a distribution company, I do a lot of training and I find training very beneficial. And one of the tricks that I had found with training was to make people laugh. Because if they're laughing with me, they're getting the joke and yeah. they're getting the story behind the spirit process. So again, it's a matter of bringing those people out of their shadows, out of being a little timid to participating in the questions. Right. Trying to get that conversation started and persuade them to start. To, to understand what you're talking about, a triple distillation versus a single distillation. A lot of times those things go right over your head. And yeah. so I found that if I could twist it a little bit with a joke and they were laughing at the right time, <laughs> they were getting it. And then I could reapproach the subject. For example, I would be talking about a 12-year-old scotch that has 21-year-old scotch blended with it to create a harmonious taste throughout all the bottles. This would be Chevis Regal. Okay. And when I would hear the silence, I would walk up to one of the young people in the crowd and I'd say, so at what age did you start drinking? And they'll start giggling. 
And I said, were you 12 years old? Well, this bottle has been waiting 12 years for someone like you to open it up. And immediately they start understanding their age versus what's in the bottle right. and the value of the bottle versus their age. And right. we start creating a conversation. Yeah, that that whole um, getting them to understand the value because you're not you're not dealing in the cheap stuff. You're dealing in top, you know, more top shelf items. And just understanding that when you have to introduce a new concept, in this case, a new spirit like the Patron, that that there's a process to that. And there's some persuasion that goes on. There's the connection that needs to happen. You were talking about your training and boy, the insight that in the region that you were dealing with, silence was not understanding as it is in the American culture. Uh, Silence is probably just not embarrassment, but not wanting to admit that there's not total understanding. So you, you just need to delve deeper, right? Yeah, really, I really have to know who I'm talking to, uh, be it with uh, an absent, for example. I introduced absent to the Asia-Pacific region called the Fay absent. And when I say I introduce, that means to be that, yes, people are shipping some products into some countries, but they're not present. Their own team is not present in the region. And by being present, you gain a trust from the salesman to the retailer, all the way up to the president of of the distribution company, but you do want to work it down. And by bringing that trustworthiness to them and saying, now I I am empowering you to share the story, they feel empowered and they want to tell the story to the next either friend or customer. Right. Now, this is different from maybe some of the larger companies that have the expats that go in for a short amount of time and they're trying to grow a business. And you, you again, take a whole different approach to that. You're, you're not in and out. You're in. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit skeptical. Again, it only comes with experience. So I was one of those people that would come in and out of the country. But I would always see that just when I'm getting it, I have to move. Mm-hmm. You know, you as an expat, uh, which is becoming less and less because brand companies, not just liquor companies, but toilet paper, toothpaste, they have all come to the rationalization that the power really lies with having someone within in the territory than just mailing it in. And again, I have found that organic growth, natural growth, not imposing volumes on people because they will walk away much like their silence. They will not take you up if you don't work with them saying, we're going to start off with two mixed pallets. I'm going to be here to help you sell it through. I'm not going to just give it to you and let your salesforce say, what is this? Right. Um, again, it's a partnership from the start uh, and all the way to the sales of the consumer in the hand. Yeah. And I think um, part of what you were saying, like there was no existence of the tequila in the region that you were introducing it to. You you have this innate ability to kind of not forecast necessarily, but have an idea about where the trends are going. You've, You've been in the business for so long and you've seen the ebbs and flows. I don't know if that's anything you can even put your finger on how you do that or. Well, you know, um, I I work with a company called McCormick's Distilling, 
I started off wanting their brand, a brand called Tequila Rose, because I was told from a friend on Guam, and they called me up one day and said, hey, would you like to create some noise with a very interesting Bailey's product? And I was interested, and as soon as I got it in hand, I called up the brand company, and within an hour, they hired me as their regional director. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was at the time looking for something because the economic crisis had hit. I saw my currency, my Filipino peso drop by 50%. Wow. That meant my salary dropped by 50%. And that's when I started Liberty Lighthouse. But when it came to having the right brands for the market, sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to gauge the markets, the region, on what they're willing to move into. And you look for certain changes. And unfortunately, we just come out of one, which is called COVID. Uh, yeah. And a lot of companies, unfortunately, as you probably know in your own hometown, from favorite restaurants to favorite bars, all closed. And when you can't sell your liquor, you start cutting back your portfolio. So right now we're going through a rejuvenation in a lot of categories, be it communications, how we're talking today, podcast, mm -hmm. um, or drinking habits, where distributors are saying people are moving on, they're looking for something different. And that comes back to me introducing Patron, La Fée Absent, Amatusalam Rum, or back in 2004, all of a sudden I found my pouring brands from McCormick's becoming of interest for the first time because people's habits were that they would always buy a brand name, be it J&B and Johnny Walker Red or uh, Smirnoff. But after COVID and all the uh, SARS and after all those bars had closed down and they decided to reopen, they started looking for value for money spirits, wow. but it had to have quality. So those people who had said no to me for about three years about taking on a McCormick's vodka, gin and rum. Oh yes, they have the premium sector with tequila rose and a few other spirits. But I found the primary focus in the beginning was the pouring brands from America. Hmm. Top quality, quadruple distilled vodka that outdoes a Smirnoff, a Smirnoff by far, but an absolute, which is only two times distilled, we are we got a little secret the american market has a very high brow <laughs> uh taste and so you can't just sell vodka that was made yesterday and put in a bottle today you have to distill it twice three times four times to get rid of the impurities and today i believe mccormick's is sold if i'm not correct incorrect in 12 asia pacific countries and uh, just got the sales report Thank God for the COVID is over because sales are going like this now. Yeah. We have a problem supplying. Yes, and <laughs> then you the have demand is so high. But these are these are good problems. These are the problems you want to have instead of the other side of the coin. Well, yeah. and and looking to that, I mean, things are changing and consumer habits have changed. I mean, what's what's on the horizon or what's happening right now as far as interest well, and spirits? That's a really good question because. I've become aware, as I said to you earlier, that distributors started calling me saying, well, we had to rationalize our business at the end of 2000. We had to notify a number of companies 
and we had stopped taking a lot of spirits and a lot of wines. But now the markets are rapidly opening. Opening, We need to look for something that's going to give us face, a value, and, and I usually call it face. Face gives you respect, gives you, uh, shows your respect for your friends. And a lot of times on what you share with your friends is something that develops a relationship. So with the McCormick spirits, we found very rapidly, and now it's 2023, my brand managers that have been coming on in the last two or three years from Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, Korea, they've all whispered to me, I was drinking your brand in college. (laughs) (laughs) So when we would have parties, we were going down to the local 7-Eleven and buying the McCormick's and we all love that brand name because they said, no hangover. <laughs> I said, well, again, everything in moderation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, you know, that's a, that's a fun story. Yeah, it is a good story, but it also shows that over time you can develop a brand name in another country that was not there 20 years ago that is now almost a staple because of the relationship that was built between the brand company and myself with the distribution company, the sales force, the retailers to where now it is a brand that's on the shelf and is expected to be found. Yeah. Wow. Well, and what about like the future of crafted spirits? I know you. Well, that's what I'm moving into, into that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Crafted spirits by nature have a limited number of cases they produce in a year. They bring a certain quality that maybe we would call during, during the baby boomer time, and I'm a baby boomer. I'm right there on the cusp. But um, we were raised with a brands such as Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and Tanqueray. Not so much the Gordons or the early times whiskey, but a brand name. So what has happened is distilleries have popped up all over the United States, all over Europe, and other countries, Taiwan, a very famous brand called Kraven, K-R-A-V-A-N, is a whiskey that is made in Taiwan and has become something of its own in the last five years. Again, a crafted spirit that people started hearing about. They didn't understand that you could make a whiskey in Taiwan and sell it in the United States, sell it in Japan, sell it in all over the world. But there's a relationship that gave the trust, as I said earlier, from the start, the relationship between the brand company and the distributors. And because they are based in Taiwan, traveling within the region is very affordable. So I, for example, am going to uh, the Vin Expo in May. And from there, I'm going on to three other countries. And I, I'm most embarrassed to say that it's so affordable, I'm thinking, I should be living out there again, but I did my 20 years already. <laughs> I'm now living in America and, and I'm communicating it and going on a regular basis again after a three-year absence. So it's almost like going back and seeing family. Yeah, that sounds uh, that does sound like you have the best of both worlds because you can live where you want to live here in the states, but you can go visit frequently because you know everything is open and you can go do that. Uh, as, I, as I go into this time, excuse me. Yeah. As I go into this this year, I'm bringing crafted spirits 
more so from the United States. Maybe later I'll have a, another division for European crafted spirits. But I'm bringing something different. For example, there's a company that I'm, I'm bringing over called Vale and Fox. They have uh, initially with concept, and it still is, to go into whiskey. But you have to age your natural spirits, your corn, your grain in barrels. That takes a period of three, five, seven to 12 years. And during that time, the distiller, Master Blender, created some fantastic gins that have a, uh, a unique twist, but they also, which is very fun, interesting, has have aged their gins in bourbon barrels, rum barrels, scotch barrels. And I believe not only has the uh, trade shows and those who award certain uh, medals to certain brands have all embraced what he is doing at Vale and Fox. I believe it's now time to bring those kind of gins to bridge the gap between dark spirits and white spirits. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a price, but again, when you're making smaller batches, it is something that is more treasured when you do sit down. Again, when we talk about that term face, if I brought this bottle to a table and they all looked at it and said, I've never heard of this. And I start telling the story about the time that it went into a year of being in the barrel, the tasting that was in the test period. They all walk away with a story so that they can order the same spirit the next time when they come back. Well, and doing that, Ted, you understand that that is building that connection between the customer and the product. And not only that, I mean, we're talking about spirits and really you are so well-versed in all the different types and, and how to create them and what's, what's happening and what's going to be happening in the future and the past. But what I want to say is it's all about, for me, I don't drink by myself. I'm always with somebody else. It's always about connecting with a friend or a loved one or celebrating while I'm drinking spirits. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, most definitely. Um, when you sit down at a table and you open a bottle with a friend and uh, or a business partner, you're telling somebody that we're going to be sitting down having a time to get to know each other, build a relationship. And once you start talking to somebody, you realize you have a lot more in common than you don't. And that is one of the things that I've tried to share in recent years since I moved back to America, that we're all very much alike. Yes, we have differences. But the moment that we stand at a bar or have a meal with a friend or a business colleague, we let our guard down. And as we let our guard down, we start building a one-on-one -on -one relationship to a point where I just talked to a new person that I met who was in England yesterday, and he he made me promise I was not going to call him Uncle Fester again because of his joke about his challenge hair follicles and his way his daughter speaks to him. And mm -hmm. I said, well, see, Tom, we have a relationship already. I know that whatever we're going to do in the future to help these customers is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And boom, we're looking forward to talking to each other the next time. Next time, I promised him I was going to be in the pub in England somewhere and we were going to have a beer together. There you go. So you have something in the future to look forward to with him. But <laughs> to your point, it is all about 
that connection, that friendship, furthering that relationship, and and just doing that over spirits of some sort in most cases. Uh, well, we have I've, I've had a delightful time talking to you today, and I really would like to know from you: is there is there anything else you would like to share with our audience before we go today? Because you've been a wealth of information, just a really fun guest on Future Foodcast. Well, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to travel, to taste the foods, taste the drink of those countries. Uh, it may remind you of things back at home. And I encourage people, when you do go overseas, say hello to the locals. Because they'll say hello back, and next thing you know, you may be sharing a drink. That's a great way to leave. Thank you so much, Ted, for being on our podcast today. And thank you too to Farm to Plate for sponsoring our podcast. Again, they've got a blockchain product in the food supply chain. If you'd like to know more, please check them out, farmtoplate.io. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 